bond was $50,000 full cash. They can look it up online. $50,000 full cash. Okay? Uh, facing six to 30 years of my life. Class X sentencing. Extended term eligible. Been arrested 20 plus times for the same types of charges. Um, so anyways, about an hour and a half goes by. I still ain't heard nothing. So I go call my mom. And when she answers, she's just bawling, hysterically, couldn't even talk, and she hangs up on me. And I'm like, oh, no, something's happened. I'm thinking the worst of the worst. Try calling back. She wouldn't answer. So I'll go lay back on my mat, pull my blanket over my head, and I just cry and shake back and forth. I'm like, why me? Why me? Why me? Next thing you know, about 15 minutes later, they say, Mr. Helm, pack your stuff. You're being discharged. <laughs> Hear me out. So I said, no. I think they're meeting somebody else. There's a mistake here. So I stay laying there on this mat on the floor. Five more minutes goes by. Mr. Helm, pack your stuff. You're being discharged. No, no, no. I still don't get up. Well, now my cell is beating on me saying, Chad, you're leaving, bro. You're, you're going. Can I get your commissary? And so I'm like, yeah, you have my commissary, but I'm not leaving. So <coughs> I end up um, laying there on the mat. Well, the third time I hear the blocked door open of the unit I was in, here comes correctional officers to physically remove me. So I end up going through the discharge process, and I walk out of this jail, and guess who's standing there? My mother, my sister, this cop, and that minister. That ministry had bonded me out, worked with the prosecutor's office. They said that God had a plan and purpose for my life that if I would just surrender, mm -hmm. that I would be a huge kingdom player in his terminology that he put, and um, but that it no longer could be about Chad, that it had to be about Jesus. Mm -hmm. and then I find out that the prosecutor supports and sponsors this ministry. That was on my case. Then I find out that cop was the chief deputy of police for the town, and he also goes into the prisons and jails and speaks for this ministry. So the way God had orchestrated all of this and allowed everything to fall into place, I still was just going through the emotions. Mm. I was back to getting high within two hours after my release. No. Okay? So I end up going on the run, and uh, I end up uh, getting high, and I received a call from my father after 13 years of not speaking. And uh, my dad says, Chad, I want my son back. He says... I will support you if you go to Florida to long-term treatment. He says, I'll fly you down there. I'll send you through treatment. And he says, I'll stick by your side 100% of the time. He says, I don't want to bury my kid. I said, okay, Dad, I'll go. So I went. I went to treatment, and uh, I was willing to do anything for my dad because I wanted that father figure. I've longed for it my entire life. And uh, I go to treatment, go through the process. I get out of treatment. They send me to a sober living house. I was back to getting high the following day. The sober living house was a flop house. The, the owner of the sober living house would get the guys high, put them into treatment to get money back from the insurance company. It was terrible. So I ended up getting taken into human trafficking in Fort Lauderdale, Florida for six months. And um, this is kind of a touchy thing for me. Uh, a lot of men are so afraid to talk about these types of, of things. Um, but I've learned over the last few years of my sobriety and g getting a relationship with Christ that if I can be honest and I can truly spread my testimony in an honest format, 
that not only is it going to heal somebody else, but it's going to continue to heal me. Mm. And, um, you know, so I was taken into human trafficking. I was tortured, abused, sexually abused the whole nine yards by men and women uh, for about six months. And um, I was about 105 pounds, 110 pounds soaking wet. Mm. Um, wouldn't eat for days, would be drugged and doped for days. And after about six months of this happening, I begged one of the people to please let me go. Please, please, please. I was crying. My health wasn't good. And um, so they end up, the, the one guy, and I can't, I'm not going to say any names, they end up releasing me. I take off, and the closest place to the location that I was at was the Hard Rock Casino Cafe outside Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Mm -hmm. So I go in there, and my first thought is I've got to try to manipulate somebody or somehow get some money from somebody. Didn't have nowhere to go, no place to sleep, no food, no clothes, uh, besides what was on me at the time. And uh, I met this individual, and he ended up getting me a hotel room for a couple nights. Um, and then after them couple days, uh, he gave me his phone number, so I called him. And he says, well, how about I bring you to Lexington, Kentucky, where I'm from, and I'll help you get on your feet, this and that. And uh, so I did. Well, I get to Lexington, and I get the bright idea I'm going to start selling methamphetamines and heroin. So I do that for about a year and a half in Lexington. And uh, at the beginning of 2018, my home was raided by the Lexington Narcotics Team. Um, over 20 officers kicked in my door, and um, the lead detective on that case was uh, Detective Pope at the time, um, which needless to say is an awesome person that saved my life. Um, so my home gets raided, and I try ingesting all the narcotics that I had on me at the time, and uh, they end up getting me with two pistols, um, they end up getting me with uh, a lot of methamphetamines and heroin and Xanax and, and all of this stuff. Um, so in Kentucky, I was PFO eligible, which means ex extended term eligible. Um, 22, so I end up overdosing. They get me to UK hospital. And I remember waking up about a week and a half later on a ventilator, two, or stuffed out tube down my throat, my nose, my arms and uh, a catheter in, and after an hour of being awake, my hospital phone rings, and I'm handcuffed and shackled to this bed because I'm in police custody in the hospital. There's an officer on each side of me, and he answers the phone, and he holds it up to my ear, and it was my mother. My mother's crying, and she says, my baby boy, my baby boy, it's time. Just surrender. Mm -hmm. It's three times, yeah. okay? So I pull my head away from the phone. I couldn't talk or anything because, like I said, the tubes and everything are down my throat. And I just start bawling. And this is where things got real. I said, God, this isn't a foxhole prayer. Whether you send me to prison for the rest of my life or you set me free, I will serve your kingdom. God, whether you send me to prison for the rest of my life or you set me free, I will serve your kingdom. And I meant it. Yeah. And when I did that, it was like this peace that surpasses all understanding came over me. And I knew everything was going to be okay. Mm. The state, I get transferred to Fayette County Detention Center. I start fighting my case. 22 years at 80, 85% was the only offer that the state had given me. Remember, I'm a fugitive on the run for the cases in Illinois as well. 
So I had to be extradited there, facing six to 30. Mm. So Kentucky, I'm facing 20 plus years. Illinois, I'm facing up to 30 years. Okay? So I start praising God for that offer. Thank you, God. 22 years, blah, blah, blah. And, and like, I was happy. And because as Grandma told me when I was in the prison before, is freedom doesn't start externally. It starts internally. And I found, I found true freedom inside four jail walls um, is where my freedom started. Mm -hmm. And it's no different than Paul and Silas as they, you know, praise God and sing hymns in the middle of them being beaten and tormented and shackled. You know, and the other inmates, if you read Paul and Silas, they, the story, you know, the other, the other inmates start to lean in and hear the hymns that these two are singing and praising God in the midst of their trial. And that's who I wanted to be like. And I knew that if God would bless them and set them free, he would do the same thing for me. And um, so I stood firm in that. And my faith, um, I can say, was very strong. And I was no longer being condemned. I was being convicted. Um, and I was turning my wrongs into rights. I was making my amends. I was admitting my faults. I was owning responsibility for the things that Chad had done and not casting the blame on other people. And the more and more that I did that, the more and more true freedom that I started to gain, and the more peace I started to get, and the more laughter and true joy I started to have. And um, so it came time, uh, I went through um, a program, a drug rehabilitation program while in jail to do something productive. And uh, it came time for me to be sentenced to DOC. The only offer I had was 22 years at 80, 85%. So I decided to take an open plea uh, Russ Baldoni out of Lexington, Kentucky was my attorney at the time, um, great guy, and he fought for me. We stood in front of Judge Kimberly Bennell, which is one of the toughest judges in the area. Um, she is a DOC sentencing judge. And um, she says, Mr. Helm, is there anything you want to say to me before I sentence you to the Department of Corrections today? I said, yes, Your Honor. I'm guilty of all charges. I deserve whatever consequence you give me. But I can assure you, I'm not the same person I was when them cuffs got put on me. Mm -hmm. And I shut my mouth. She took her, she put her glasses on and set her grapple, or her gap, or whatever you call that thing, down for a minute. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she looked at me. And so I just looked back at her. And um, she ends up pulling out this file and she starts reading the stuff. And then she gets to a letter and she reads it out loud to the courts. There was correctional officers that had been monitoring me and watching my behavior, and they saw a light in me. Come to find out, these correctional officers were pastors outside of the jail. I would go up and minister to the correctional officers as I'm an inmate locked in the jail. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. And they were no t taking notes on all of this. Well, then my father, after 13 years of not having a relationship, after my dad telling me I was a disgrace to the family and he wishes I would just go away, wrote a letter on my behalf. My aunt, my mom, my grandma, every person who I had harmed and hard, har harmed the most wrote letters on my behalf because them phone calls from the jail no longer were about, hey, can you send me money for commissary? Or, hey, can you put money on the phone? Or, hey, can you do this? No, it was, hey, guess what God did through me today in somebody else's life? Mm -hmm. Guess what? The state off only offered me 22 years. And I was happy about this stuff. And, uh, you know, so the judge 
took off her glasses after reading this stuff. She says, Mr. Helm, I don't do this. But she says, I've had a change of heart. I'm going to give you a chance today. So she's quiet for a moment. My heart's pacing, beating. She says, you know what? I'm not going to sentence you to prison. She says, I'm going to sentence you to drug court probation on the terms that if you relapse one time, you do 100% of the 22 years. Mm. I said, deal. Because I knew laying in the hospital bed, whenever I said, God, this isn't a foxhole prayer, whether you send me to prison or set me free, I knew that I meant what I said, and I was sincere, and my heart was pure at the time. Relapse was not an option for me. And um, so I ended up getting extradited to Illinois. Um, family and people came together. They bonded me out from them charges again. Um, I get stuff modified. I come back to Kentucky. Um, I start living for Christ. I started working at the Waffle House, uh, homeless, no place to go. Started saving paychecks once again, but never picked up, never got high, never drank. And uh, I'm staying hotel to hotel. Then I got me an apartment. Then I got me a roommate. Then I got a house. Then I started going, I went back into the car business. COVID ends up hitting. And uh, the car dealership I worked for had shut down. Well, I was laying on my couch at 1030 at night. This is a little over a, a year ago. And um, uh, the pastor was on there talking about a breakthrough and fulfilling your purpose in life. And if you're one of those that are trying to find your purpose, realize that God's got you right where he wants you to be and that you're in your purpose and can use you right where you're at. And um, so I'm like, man, I'm supposed to be working with addicts or people like me or with churches and this and that. I said, but man, I've got 29 felony convictions. I'm a 13-year career drug addict. I've been to prison several times. My home got raided a few years ago. What could God possibly use me for? Mm -hmm. And uh, so I jump on Indeed, and the first thing that comes up is Isaiah House Treatment Center. Wow. So I'm like, wow, okay. So it came time for the resume part. My resume was just my testimony and my story. Mm -hmm. And uh, it really wasn't my experience or any of this. My experience of being an addict was my resume. And I submitted that, and they called me the following day said, Hey, uh, we got your, your application and your resume. When can you come in for an interview? And I smiled from ear to ear. I said, I'll come right now. She says, No, no, hold off, hold off. Let's, let's do tomorrow morning. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was ready to go. And uh, she's like, Let's do tomorrow morning. So I got to be prepared. So I go in that morning. And on my way there, you know, I'm just rocking out to some Christian music and, uh, you know, I start, then I get to I Can Only Imagine, and I just start singing, I start crying and singing and crying of joy. I'm like, all right, God, we, we, you got this, you got this. You're opening a door for me, I'm going to go through it. So I get there, and I'm, I'm almost too into the story here. So I get to Isaiah House, and um, the lady, the human resources lady, name was April Roth, and then the peer support specialist supervisor was Jason Mullins. They both were sitting in there, and... Uh, they said, so, Mr. Helm, tell us about yourself. I said, are you sure? I said, because I can talk. And uh, they said, yeah, just, just tell us. What, so why do you want this job? Tell us about you. Fill us in. I said, okay. I laid it all out on the table. I told them about every felony conviction, everything I had done. So at the end of the interview, she was like, wow. Uh, well, we've got several other interviews. You may hear from us in a couple weeks. If you don't, wish the best of luck to you. They shook my hand and I left. Normally when you hear that, you're not getting hired. 
That's a bad sign. So anyways, uh, I go to the parking lot and I hit my head on my steering wheel. I said, God, why? What did I do? Why did I do that? I thought this is where you wanted me to be. And all of a sudden, a peace just came over me again. And I drive home. At 10.30 that night, I'm laying on my same couch watching that same rerun of that sermon that I had watched through YouTube on the, the TV and thing. And uh, I get a beep on my phone, and it's a Facebook Messenger request from a person who I wasn't friends with. So I open it up, and it says, from April Roth. And I'm like, April, wait a minute. This is the human resource lady, right? So I accept it, and I open it up, and it says, Chad, I know it's late, but are you awake, and can you talk? So on my mind, I'm thinking, wait a minute. It's 1030 at night. What could she possibly want? So I said, yeah, I'm awake and I can talk. Bam, then my phone rings. So I'm like, all right, hello. She says, Chad, and she's, she's in tears. Mm -hmm. She says, conviction had came upon me right when you walked out of our office. She says, my husband is a pastor for Isaiah House. We've watched your testimony on your Facebook page. Mm -hmm. I've investigated you. She says, I want to offer you the pay you asked for, the job you wanted, and the shift you wanted to work. When's the earliest you can start? Wow. I started that next, I'm getting goosebumps. I started that next morning at 8 o'clock. And um, so uh, I walk in, and um, when you see these, when you see people that are so broken and busted, they, they stink like filth. Um, they're skinny, cheeks, cheeks sunk in, and you've been where they've been, you, how do I say this? You, um, I can say this, working at IH and being able to see the clients on a daily basis that are just like me, mm -hmm. that have had the same traumas, that have had PTSD, that have had that father or that mother or that family member walk out of their life, that have been tossed from foster house to foster house that have had to live in the streets and struggle because they didn't know any other life mm. or never been introduced to Jesus. Mm. Um, I came to realize really quick, the first Jesus that somebody else is gonna see is me. Mm. And the greatest testimony ever told has no words. It's by your actions. You know, I can sit here and I can speak and tell you my story but what matters is who I am behind closed doors, who I am to my own family under my own roof, who I am in the workplace, in the office, just talking to the other guys, what kind of music I listen to when I'm in my car by myself, what do I watch on TV when I'm at home by myself, you know, and I, I have to think about all of that stuff, you know, and because people can see the light in you when you're truly shining. And um, 
So I've continued this journey over the last year at Isaiah House. Um, I've been clean a little over three years. And uh, I started off as a peer support specialist, which is just coaching and counseling clients that are went through the same stuff I have. Being that mentor, being that leader in their life, somebody that they can see hope in. And um, six months ago, I get a letter from the courts in Illinois because I've still been fighting that case. And uh, I just knew I was going to prison. Mm -hmm. And I was prepared for that, but I was still going to keep serving God because I meant what I said in the hospital bed in 2018. And um, so I get a letter that says, Mr. Helm, you're to appear. I've been subpoenaed to court, this and that, um, for your sentencing. So I prepared myself. And uh, I didn't let work know. I just told him I had court that I had to go to. I didn't tell him I was going to, you know, get locked up or whatever because I trusted God. Yeah. Whatever was going to happen, happened. And as I'm on my way, I was planning on staying with my mother. And as I'm on my way to Illinois, um, my mom calls me and she says, uh, Chatty, you can't come here. We got our results back and me, your stepdad, and your sister, all three testing positive for COVID. Mm. I'm like, okay, I'll just get a hotel room. My phone rings again after that, about 30 minutes later, because it was a five and a half hour drive, and it's my dad. I have not had a relationship with my father, because when he tried, I'd mess that up again. He says, you know what, son? He says, uh, I don't want my kid back, because I believe I already have my son back. Mm -hmm. Won't you come stay with me and your stepmom mm -hmm. tonight and go to court from here in the morning? Mm -hmm. He says, you've You've got your dad's trust back again. I hope that you forgive me and I forgive you. And uh, I went to my dad's house that night and um, he was standing in the garage with open arms waiting for me when I pulled up. It was like he was watching the clock waiting for me to get there. And he just wrapped his arms around me and hugged me and said, I'm so proud of you. Mm -hmm. And I said, what, for doing what I'm finally supposed to be doing? You know what I mean? And uh, so he says, well, come on in. And I had the funnest time just sitting in my dad's living room, watching TV, just being under the same roof um, and laughing and, and just talking. So the next morning, <coughs> it's time for me to go to court. And um, I go pack my stuff. And uh, my dad says, why are you packing your stuff? I said, well, because you're going to leave for work and I can't get back in. And I think you wanted me here by myself, you know. He says, no, 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 here's a house key. He says, come back here after court. I said, okay. So I said, I may not be coming back after court, Dad. <coughs> and uh, he says, no. He says, I believe good things are going to happen. And uh, my dad's not a God person. He's not. But that was just confirmation for me that everything's going to be okay. So I go to court. I stand in front of this judge. And uh, he looks at me. He says, well, Chad, you ready? I said, yeah. He says, I've not done this in over 30 years of being a judge or working in the courts. He says, but today I have the honor of dismissing all pending charges against you to set you free, go back to Kentucky, continue impacting lives and doing what you're doing. Slaying up, set me up. Wow. So, charges in Illinois, done, gone. The officer forgave me who I had drugged down the road. I come back to Kentucky. 
My relationship with my father was restored mm -hmm. and revived. Mm -hmm. Restoration is bringing something back to its past or current state. Revival mm -hmm. is bringing something above and beyond mm -hmm. of what they were restored to. So my relationships have been revived. My freedom has been given back. My court and legal stuff is behind me. The same officers that kicked in my door and raided my house in Lexington, Kentucky are now some of my best friends. The same officers who put handcuffs on me and were wanting to send me away forever now trust me to call me all throughout the day and night and put criminals, convicts, drug addicts in the same vehicle with me and trust me to get them to treatment. Um, working at Isaiah House, they have believed in me entrusted me because they see that God God takes the most weakest meekest people to do and make the greatest impact mm -hmm. and what I mean by that is we can be humble but we also have to show meekness mm -hmm. and humility um, and don't get me wrong in the minute that Chad allows pride and ego to start coming in the forefront, God will sit me down real quick. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I've got a few quotes that I just want to say real quick. Yeah, and, um, so I've learned that I have to be as strong as my strongest excuse. An apology without change is only manipulation. And God's form of redirection is often rejection. Redemptive vulnerability is putting yourself out there and not being afraid of being hurt, but instead being healed. And what's measuring your life? What are you allowing to hinder you, to hold you captive? And, you know, I have went through the last few years of my life serving God. He's opened up door after door. Um, I got promoted at Isaiah House. And that was only by God's grace and mercy. Um, and, you know, people always say, well, Chad, look at what you're doing. And it's, it's not look at what Chad's doing. It's look at what God is doing through Chad and through other people. And as long as we can realize that we are nothing without him, um, the sky is not even the limit. You know, and uh, this is only temperamental here. So I know that I have an eternal life. And I take every day and try to live it to the fullest. But that doesn't mean that life doesn't show up and things don't get hard. You know, I've been diagnosed with an illness and going through some, some you know, kidney problems, this and that, and from wreckage of my past. But today I believe that God is a healer and he's the author and finisher. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and my main focus each day is be that living testimony mm -hmm. and realize that it doesn't have to be my words, it can be by my actions. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, Chad, thank you so much for sharing. I'm somebody who, whenever I hear a story, I like to drill down on like a thousand details. Uh, I'm gonna refrain from doing that with your with your story, because uh, we only have so much time, but uh, you're someone that I think we could all talk to for a long, long time and, uh, and enjoy not just the you know, that redemption story, but also that, you know, that testimony that will give us challenge and encouragement too. 
I know a lot of people who are listening probably have not and may not ever deal with addiction, but as you, I think it was your last quote that you uh, shared, you know, what are you measuring your life on? We all struggle. We have hurts, habits, hangups, sins in our life. And so for those who are listening who may not necessarily be able to relate to the addiction and maybe the the really intense trauma, Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of encouragement would you give for those who still have those hurts, those habits, those hangups, the the sin issue in their life? What, What kind of challenge or encouragement would you give? Well, what I would give is, so first off, you're not alone, you're not an outcast. Um, and that's one of the biggest things, you know, and when we talk about addiction, people automatically think of alcohol or drugs. Yeah. But addiction can be food, sex, drugs, alcohol, lying, manipulating. Uh, it can be anything. And, you know, or them hurts, habits, and hang-ups. We, we all, in some way, shape, or form, experience certain levels of trauma. Now, just because that's a different level of trauma or a different level of pain doesn't mean that, is, that your pain isn't just as bad as mine or my pain isn't just as bad as yours you know and once you can realize that and and say the three words i need help mm-hmm. when you can do that and you can actually reach out to somebody and have that redemptive vulnerability um and and like i just said vulner being vulnerable is putting yourself out there and taking that risk of being hurt, mm-hmm. taking that risk of people throwing stuff up in your face or using it against you later on down the road. But here's the thing. If you're opening up to somebody, how can they use it against you later on down the road if you're the one that's opening up to them? Yeah. They can't because you just put it on the table. Or if you have something that you have held inside, you find that person that you feel you can confide in and you, you become honest. Because until you can become honest, you know, and God even tells us, be honest to another human being. Find somebody else that you can find and trust in. Be honest to him, you know? And once you can do that, you'll start to have a breakthrough and a true freedom internally. Mm. Oh, that's good, thank you. Awesome. One of the questions that I, when I hear your story, it, I think it's unique because you're on uh, both sides of the, hey, I've conned, and at the same time, I have experienced new life. And, you know, whenever you get burned by somebody, you want to you want to keep the walls up, and so I yep. know you've probably experienced people saying, "Hey, Chad, hey, I, I've experienced a 13 years of Chad. This new three-year Chad, I don't know if I can completely yep. trust this Chad." Yep. So for those who are listening, and maybe there's this that tension of, I want to help, uh, I want to uh, you know help people, whether it's addiction or you know, I mean even the foster care uh, system, but I don't want to get conned. Yes. What, what, do you, what do you say to us to, when it comes to negotiating uh, that path? So here's what, here's what I would say. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to refrain back to my, my personal experience here. So my father would not trust me, right, for almost three years. And, but for them first two and a half years, it was always as the addict, the recovering addict, it's like, why doesn't he trust me? I've been doing this. I've been proving myself. But here's what we have to realize is in the addict standpoint is we didn't break trust over just a year or two. We broke it over multiple years. So just because I'm clean today or doing the right thing doesn't mean that I'm going to be trusted immediately by that person. So don't feel bad. If you're making somebody else earn that trust back, because trust is earned, not just given. Mm-hmm. 
And a person who's true to thy own self and who is keeping it honest and really working a program or trying to do that next right thing is going to understand mm -hmm. that trust is something that comes over time. So don't feel guilt for, for keeping that barrier up because you have to have healthy boundaries. Yeah. But at the same time, don't use a person's past against them because first off, our past does not define our future. Our past is a stepping stone to get to our future. And, you know, I, I have a, another saying, where'd it go? If you didn't see where I started, how can you judge me where I'm at? Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of people will find out that a person's been an addict and immediately they have this stigma and perception about them. Sure. Addicts are some of the most loving, caring, smartest, intelligent people you will meet mm -hmm. that God has given so many gifts to. Um, and the problem is they, they're lost and they've never been properly taught or, you know, guided um, through and, and they, they don't know how to acclimate them things in their life that, Jesus, that God has instilled in them. You know, so just remember that. Don't, don't waste your miracle or throw away your blessing by not helping someone else. Uh, you know, we, we want to know a little bit more about Isaiah House. Uh, you know, I think Josh and I, we've got a pretty good understanding of, of what Isaiah House is doing. But can you give us just kind of the, that elevator pitch? Hey, this is, this is who Isaiah House is. Yes. This is what Isaiah House is doing. Um, and, and then we uh, maybe have, have some follow-up questions even about that. Yes. Please. <laughs> so, so Isaiah House, my job for Isaiah House is I'm the outreach coordinator. Um, and I'm a APSS, which is working with the clinical team, um, guiding people. But Isaiah House is a faith-based organization um, that is a nonprofit with Jesus Christ as the center of everything that we do. And um, we are a short or long-term treatment program. We've been established for over 20 plus years. And, you know, we try to help anybody and everybody, men or women, no matter what race, religion, background you come from, um, we've recently started a, a diversity team okay. um, to tackle different areas, uh, you know, diverse communities, so on and so forth, um, because we believe that, you know, unity is number one. Um, and we also employ our clients that choose to stay long term. Um, we also help pay to send them through Campbellsville University for college. Is that right? If they want to, if they want to go That's through. Josh is yes. alumni, yeah. Yes, so we partnered with them. Uh, we have one of their instructors teach our clients. They become certified welders. Hmm. Um, you know, we work, we have contracts with Toyota, MS, TG, all these different factories in the area to put our clients to work in a factory and teach them how to save money. Um, we have over 27 transitional living homes. So upon clients' completion, instead of just throwing them back out on the street, they have a safe home and community to go to. Um, we have 83 vehicles used for transport um, in our organization. And uh, we, we have almost 300 employees on staff now. Uh -huh. So, you know, the cool thing about Isaiah House is, I'm supposed to have an elevator pitch, I'm sorry. You're good. Uh, nice. Yeah. This is great. The cool thing about Isaiah House is, with us being a nonprofit, 
Um, you know, any financial support that we are given or that's donated to us, that money goes right back into the ministry. Um, and I will say this as an employee, I took a huge, huge pay cut to go to Isaiah. <laughs> I mean, it's just when you're working for a nonprofit, yeah. faith based, a pastor, and into anything, sure. I mean, that's just part of it because it's not really about the paycheck. Of course, mm -hmm. you have to survive, but it's about what Jesus has called you to do. And I can say that every staff member I have came in contact with on a personal level at Isaiah House has the mission of Christ and, and wants to see that light and that glow finally come in mm -hmm. that client's life that walks through that door broken and busted. Mm -hmm. You know, and if God can take an old filthy wretch like me mm -hmm. that was broken and busted, it's almost like a glow stick. You take a glow stick, and you break it and you shake it up and then it shines. Mm -hmm. Every client that walks through Isaiah House is the same way. They're broken, busted, filthy, miserable, and they can be brought and restored and revived to a place where God can use them to shine for his kingdom. Mm -hmm. wow. Wow. That's good. Well, for anyone who's listening and thinking, I would love to help however I can, what are a couple ways that people can actually get involved and help with Isaiah House? Yes, you can go to the IsaiahHouse.org. Um, you can look us up online. We have a volunteer coordinator. Um, her name is actually Miss Sargent. Her husband's a pastor of another church, uh, Cho, and he's also a graduate of our program. Um, so, but she's our volunteers coordinator. You can volunteer. Um, we have different ministry opportunities. Um, we also serve in different communities doing different things. Or if you want to be a financial supporter or a partner with us, even if it's a dollar a month or five dollars a month, um, you know, that is something that can make a huge difference over time. Mm. And uh, you can go right to our website. You can click on how to get involved and you can go to the donate button or partnership button. Um, and we have something called a Lifesavers Club. We also have something called Amazon Smile. Hmm. where if you don't want to give uh, money, yeah. um, you can actually go on Amazon Smile and order the clients, their needs. We have them listed there. Um, you know, because like I was telling Pastor earlier, the grants and stuff that we get, that does not pay for clients' treatment. That helps with property, vehicles, buildings, and stuff like that, you know. And so really the funding that comes in, we use that to pay for clients' long-term treatment because... 28, 30 days of treatment is not long enough to fix 15 years of damage. Yeah. 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 Well, Chad, I would love to just kind of close us out with a quick word of prayer. Yes. Um, let me pray for you in Isaiah House, and uh, we'll wrap things up. God, thank you so much for your son, Jesus. You know, in stories like this, uh, you know, the, that life change um, that we can all experience, and that's what draws us to you. Um, Without you, um, we would just be lost. And so thank you so much for Chad. Uh, thank you for all those years that, that you were working on his heart, that you were chipping away, and and finally he, he got it. And Father, we know that there might be people listening right now who you're, you're chipping away at their hearts, and they're still uh, resistant. And so Father, we pray for healing and, and life change for yes. them as well. We love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. 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 Yes. Well, God bless. <laughs>